never answer why things got crazy. She could never tell me what I'd ever done. She went screaming down the road with eyes ablazing, running from the fool that I'd become. Let her ride, she'll only bring you pain. Let her ride, she's coming back again. Let her ride, brother, what are you crying for? If you say that you don't love her anymore. If you say that you don't love her anymore. All I ever tried to do was be a lover. But all she ever wanted was a man. I'll try to make it one way or another Take my time and do the best I can Let her ride She'll only bring you pain Let her ride She's coming back again Let her ride Brother, what are you crying for? If you say that you don't love her anymore you say that you don't love her anymore I'm traveling on this rocket ship to Venus Following this bottle to its end There's been ten years, a thousand miles between us But Lord, I'd love to see that girl again Let her ride, she'll only bring you pain Let her ride, she's coming back again Let her ride, brother, what are you crying for? Don't love her anymore Let her ride Let her ride Let her While you're tuning yeah, up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, Jamie this. Beckett. Hi, Jamie Beckett. He said it was good to see me. Good to see you, Jamie. I'm glad you're here. James Kirk, hello. And Paul, he's playing nose hair for you. Hi, Katrina. I have no voice. Oh, shit. Far out, says David Moore. Cameron. Hi, Cameron Die. I miss oh, you. Hi, Cameron Die. I miss Cameron. 
I got into an argument with my late partner about this song because he said it was good and I said it wasn't. He said it was good and I said it wasn't. <laughs> and I finally agreed that it's worthwhile. Uh, well, clearly, if somebody's requesting it. Nose hair <laughs> growing everywhere. <laughs> At my age, brings me rage. Nose hair. <laughs> ear hair. Please don't go in there. <laughs> Brings you pain when you poke your brain. Ear hair. Back hair. Can't reach back there. It's an old man's affliction. And of course the next verse was no hair, but um, ah. I don't seem to have that problem. <laughs> I'm a lucky, lucky boy when it comes to that stuff. Nose hair. All that right, must have been for Paul. It was, that, it was probably for Paul. Hey, buddy. Um, he said, thanks, brother, yes. He was very happy that you played that. It was Paul who asked for another oh, yeah. area. Yeah. No, no. Okay, so can you click that and get that to, to be active so we can I'm, see? I don't know. I mean, I'm seeing, this is your I'm, account, not mine. I'm seeing them. It has nothing to do with that, though. It's just yeah, not I'm, doing it. We're, we're, we're doing technical things so that we can, like, chat with you guys while we're doing the show. And so if you have questions... Um, I don't want to look at this too. Look at people sending love. Look at the love you're getting. Look at love, oh, love, no, this love, is, love. Hi, you guys. <laughs> this is these. Uh, you know, people are kind of used to me doing live yeah, videos. I do but... one a night from the road. Usually get a thousand to fifteen hundred views in twenty four hours. And, it's um, lovely. It's so hi, Janet is... Smolky. Um, so did, not sure why, why this is why not. Why won't it do I it? Am, I couldn't begin to tell you. <laughs> I'm not exactly. Uh, well, this one's doing it, and I'm kind of seeing. Hi, Steve McCormick. Say hi, so, your daughter. Samantha's on. Yeah. Hi, Samantha. Samantha is at a pre uh, at a premiere. Adrienne Grenier's new film, uh, a thriller, and her and her dad are at the Egyptian tonight, walking cool. the red carpet. Um, I hope you. She looks gorgeous. I hope you're having a good time. Take video. Take pictures. Um, so, hi, Aris. Aloha. Um, Okay, so Dan, this is this is my friend Dan Navarro. Oh, we just clung to uh, You know what? I ca I've called us um, new old friends. We are. We've new only old known friends. each other about three years. Th I, that's crazy. But it's to like, me. That's well, first of all, we know tons of people in common. We do. And uh, people you've known for um, since before you were born. Pretty and, much. Uh, pretty much. And, well, uh, our mutual friend Steve Postel. Who, yes. Who I, I, I have we each? I've known Steve for thirty-five years. How long have you known Steve? I met Steve in eighty-six, so thirty-two years. Uh, well. I'm lying because I met him in '86. Also, yeah, that's so was 32 years. Is that only 32 years? He had come out with Joel Derwin, his I partner. He, you then. were just telling me he came out. I was like, "You're kidding! I didn't know Steve was gay." Sorry. Yes. To all the ladies out there, Steve is gay. Steve doesn't like women at all. Um, usually, if he approaches you, he's going to be asking if you want to hang out with me. Just saying. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so can we tell the story of how we met, though? Yes, I, I will tell the story because it's, it's pretty you, embarrassing. You, you tell the version, and uh, then then I'll tell my my side of it. Vicky approached me about her series, Women Who Write. Where were we? We were at the uh, Grammy Museum, uh, seeing Lori Lieberman, who was an old friend, a mutual friend, um, who is a wonderful singer songwriter, Fantastic. who was the um, actually the inspiration for Killing Me Softly. She wrote the actual words to the poem exactly. that began that became and Killing Me Norman Gimbel and Charles Fox completed the song and cut her out for a while she's they, now back into the fold not the really well she's really not but it really put her on the map I've been aware of her music since the 70s when yes. I was three yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she approached me about women who write yes and I made that sort of um, I did that look that the Dallas Sheriff did when when Lee Harvey Oswald got shot I went because I was <laughs> 
you know, if you guys remember that picture. Um, I was not used to being Dick. approached. That, I'm not used to being recognized. That's part of it. Dan was having none of it, is what it was. And it's partly because there are very, very few times where I will play um, for free. Yes. It is my living. Yes. Um, but what happened is I had really not thought much about it. Yeah. About two years, 18 months to two years later, I'm hanging out with Steve, and your name comes up. And I go, oh, I remember her. He goes, yeah, man, you really dissed her. I'm like, are you joking? I dissed her? I just, I only did this. And and I felt horrible. So I I basically found you on Facebook and oh, apologized. So this is guilt-fueled. Okay, so so what would you say, Louise? This is a guilt-fueled appearance. It's it, Well, no, this well, is... I'm, well, I'm, this I'm, is, I'm Mexican Catholic. Yeah, this, is, oh, this is subsequent wow. guilt, guilt appearances. But what, what Dan did, which is amazing, because this is the truth, I have been in 12-step programs, which, for those of you who aren't in the know, lucky you, but I'm, I'm an addict in recovery. Anyway, so I've been in, in, in the program, we make what's called a formal amends, right. where we, we say we're sorry, we take our part, we ask if there's anything we can do to make it better. I had been in the program at that point about 15 years, and no one had ever made a formal, I've made a shit ton of formal amends. No one had ever made an amends to me. Dan was my first formal amends on Facebook, and it wasn't even on my personal page. You found the Women Who Write page. I found the Women Who Write there, page, right? and, and, and sent you a note and apologized. And wow. what was so ironic was that very night, I was bringing my friend Abby, and we were coming to hear you play with the Friday night music. The, 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 the um, Night Train Music Club, Night Train Steve's Music Club, revolving door of the best musicians in the world. Phenomenal, I mean, and Will you guys, Lee, were... Steve Ferroni, Danny Korchmar, um, you know, Leland. Alfonso Johnson, Leland Sklar, Bob Glob. I mean, the list goes. Jackson would come. In, you know, they're Jackson. actually uh, the immediate family. Is that what they're called? The immediate family. Well, the band right now is Danny Korchmar and the immediate family. It is essentially three fourths of the section. It's Danny Korchmar, Leland Sklar, and Russ Kunkel. With Wadi Wachtel and Steve Postel. Which is, if that's not the power that's band that crazy. was. And they're in Japan right now. They're playing. Yeah, my, my, uh, my invitation was lost in the mail. So. <laughs> uh, my groupie invitation was also lost in the mail. Huh. Um, but except Dan's, uh, Danny's, the other Dan's on my shit list because he didn't come to Women Who Write oh. last month. So we're, we're, we're not even going there. But anyway, so that the, the very night that Dan, well, what? Maybe you'll get an apology tonight. Oh, sure. Check your face rock boys are always apologizing. Well, well Dan is forgive a Forgive me for a he's, he's a folk rock boy. It's different. Um, but anyway, so that very night, I went to see uh, the, the Night Train Music Club at the pavilion. Uh, at the... The, the, the Buffalo Club? Not the pavilion. The No, in Pasadena. Oh, the, oh you know, it was the, the, the Levitt Pavilion the at Levitt that pavilion, point in time. Correct, yes. right. So it's not the Levitt Pavilion anymore? It's a long story. Okay. So they were at the Levitt Pavilion, and so I walked up to the stage, and I told Dan that I was who I was, and I thanked him for making this amends to me. And that, from that night on, that was at least a few years ago, Dan's done Women Who Write a couple times. He did it with Cloris Leachman, which was oh, crazy. Cloris... <laughs> You guys, Cloris Leachman was flirting with me. I swear, she, she was smelling she my was. hair. She was. I actually. She, there are pictures on my website. Go I, find them. I can prove it. Gallery. He was my boyfriend. I have the video on Facebook to prove it. She did it. She Absolutely. did it a couple times, and she stayed in character the entire time she was there, and had great disdain for me. Louise, weren't you there? I was there. Me again, what it was called? That's let her ride. Let her ride. Um, which is, I know that people are going to find this unusual, but it's a you know song about a breakup. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, Who knew that that happens? So, and there's also a um, dance. Oh, forgive me. Dan, for oh, oh, show, here. show, show. 
Dan's going to uh, show you the pictures of cl with Chloris. We were not oh, kidding. Really this is yeah. Chloris Leachman is smelling my hair. <laughs> that is a hot looking couple. And, and I, I kissed her on the cheek. Put it down a little bit here. Yeah, here we go. A little closer. I love As close that. as Clo uh, Chloris was to you. Higher, higher, higher. Uh, she was there we so, go. She was so That is Chloris. I mean, uh, look, you guys. I mean, I grew That's up on these. That's what looks like. Yeah, I grew is, up right? on these MTM shows. Um, I was in college when... Oh, you when, know what? You don't have Flash Player. That's why it's not working. It's, um, it's uh, uh, what is Apple. But at any rate, all of this is to say... Yeah. Um, it, was a, it was one of the high points of my Doesn't life. Matter. Yeah. And yes, it's on my website because I still can't believe it was there. <laughs> That's so <laughs> it was cool. pretty So, but this is the point, is that when I first approached you and asked you if you wanted to do Women Who Write, and it's like, oh, this chick is asking me to I do this for you. This, 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 <laughs> this girl is asking me to do a free gig. But the thing, the thing that comes with all the free gigs at Women Who Write are these experiences that are unparalleled. Like well, that. and it's, no, it's absolutely true. And the thing is, you know, I'm weird. You know, I've been at this a long time. And the great reach of a show isn't an appeal to me. A fun experience is. Yeah. And that's, I will, I mean, you know, we did this on about 24 hours notice. And okay, so I want to talk about that for a second, too. Absolutely. Because Dan has come to my rescue. There was another time when you jumped in on a Women Who Write, Cameron, not the floor. With, with Cameron. With Cameron. Cameron died. Cameron hurt himself, and, and you related, because you had had your accident, that's which right. we'll talk about. And Cameron had hurt one of his fingers, and he couldn't play the guitar. And so Dan jumped in at the last minute. Cameron! <laughs> and so uh, Dan jumped in at the last minute, and Cameron did one song with you, I think, and then he came back the next right. month. But Dan jumped in, and that's the kind of guy he is. So Stephen Bishop was supposed to be here tonight, and um, I got a call yesterday afternoon that he had to have dinner with his stepson tonight. Be, you know? So, um... Down in Jamaica you got lots of pretty women, lots of from then you wake up on the beach, and you real drunk and then you throw up in your car something like that Steve on and on he learned different lyrics yeah, yeah I he, think, he wrote he wrote better lyrics than i think that. his lyrics were a little different but anyway so steven's going to be with us next week actually but dan guy. i called dan i i was like two hours of freaking out trying to reach people and i got dan on his way to the yankee game he's got all this stuff to do Don't, but, but it was not your game other coast it's sorry, okay. I, I'm sorry. Baseball is only Yankees to me. Right. I, I, you I, and I went to the Mets and the Dodgers. We did go to the Mets and the Dodgers, so, and the Mets won. Yes, they and did. it was a playoff game. Yes, I uh -huh. think that was the same game where uh, Chase Utley uh, broke somebody's leg. Is he, that so? Yeah, he, he he slid hard into second base and took a guy out. Mm. Wow. I dug it. Oh God. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Brian Chatton's with us. Do you know Brian? I don't, actually. Brian is a keyboard player who played with Phil Collins before he was in Genesis. That's okay. how old Brian is. <laughs> but anyway, Brian's an amazing keyboard player, and he has a book coming out called Rock and Roll Royalty. And he's played with everybody. He's Brit, and he's saucy and fun. And um, you'll have to meet him. But anyway, so Dan, when I asked Dan if he would do this, he said yes. And you know, this is the thing that... And I'm, I'm, I'm cheating because I usually spend the entire show in profile looking at the guests. Oh, I'm going to have to go back here to talk well, to you. Well, let's make this corner thing so we can look at so each other. We can still, look, we can still and look. we can still show some And have dimples. You can see our dimples if we do this. Um, You'll see my, my, so, my wacky blackies if I show you my dimples. And Dan promised to show the, the tidy whities but there aren't tidy whities They are wacky blackies. Wacky blackies. So before we're done... We're supposed to get a view of the wacky blackies, and uh, we'll see if that happens. We'll see that. Um, so oh, of course, she'll be right over. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. So we want uh, we want the view of that, and you also want to stick around because I've um, 
Dan happens to usually end on a particular note, and if you've been to any of his shows, you know what note that is. So that will be coming later, and there'll be. But you, maybe in the middle of the show, you'll do another um, number from Whatever Shed My Skin. Are. Yeah, I, I would love. I would love you to play because I love that CD. Well, thank I you. I love it. It's. I, I actually think it might be your best work, and it, you've had some great work. I. You know, it's hard to say that out loud simply because there were 15 albums with Lowen and Navarro, and my and late, my late partner Eric Lowen, who I adored. Uh, passed away. About. Passed away in 2012. He retired from the road at, uh, at the very end of 2008. And um, how long have you guys been playing together? Prior well, to that? we had been playing together 25 years at that point. Crazy. And so I had to sort of retool um, at, a, at an advanced age, an advanced stage of my career. Mm. But Steve really brought his A plus game, and produced it. We arranged it together. He produced it, recorded it. No second engineers, no nothing. Wow. And we arranged it kind of jointly, in a sort of toss things down and then start subtracting. Um, we were mano a mano through the whole process. So like what kind of stuff did you take out? Excessive instruments, uh, created some space, uh, emphasized the lines that seemed to own their spot rather than lines that were only okay. Mm. Only okay wasn't good enough for us. And it made it take a long time. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it worked and it's the best work of my career. I owe it's that really, to Steve. It's amazing. Um, I, I also did something I'd never done. Um, it's 12 songs, eight of them are mine. But seven of the eight songs I wrote without collaborators, and I was not used to that. Wow. That was something I had started before I got together with Lowen. Eric and I met in 78 and started writing together in 81. So we really had long history and a lot of success as songwriters. Right. But I decided to do them all alone. I needed to sort of prove to myself that I could. For anybody out there who doesn't know Dan, if you didn't come from his page, if you're like a Road Taken fan and don't know Dan's work, Dan, Dan and Eric. And Eric, that's who wrote We Belong, the Pat Benatar song, which right now is in Deadpool 2. It's in the biggest Daddy's movie making year. some money this year. It's going to be a very nice Christmas this year. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, it's, that movie's uh, going to gross a billion bucks. Wow. I mean, oh, it's stop. Pretty weird. Now, that's, my pay isn't commensurate with that. It's, a, it's an agreed to fee before right. the movie comes out. I have no idea what it's going to be because basically my Wait, deal, if you have an agreed to fee, then you don't you know... The publisher the, agrees. And they don't have any obligation to tell me. They just pay me. And they pay me decently, but it's Karnak. That's How many people remember Karnak out there? The publishing check comes and I go, 2000 10000 And uh, that's when we find out what it is. That's crazy. It's been, uh, it's been a wild ride for 35 years now. 34 years ago that came out. Get out of here. 1984. Is and when how many movies has that? That's been in a. Oh, I've heard that's been in a ton of movies. It's been in a ton of movies, ton of TV shows, uh, recorded by several artists. Um, it's got legs that I never, and neither one of us ever envisioned. It Did would anybody be have a hit with it besides Pat? Um, no, nobody's actually had a hit with it. Yeah. But I tell you, some of the there's it's a kind version, of that turn. It's time well, for it in now. Spain. Mm -hmm. Paloma San Basilio put it out in like 1996. Yeah. Under the name Mi Pasión. And I was in Spain in October, and I got to talking to a cab driver, and he goes, everybody knows that song. He's played at weddings all the time. Aww. And so it's a really heartening feeling, and it's a testament to my, to my partner, because, uh, again, he passed away. We didn't break up. We didn't go our separate ways. Um, and we were brothers from start to finish, except for all the fights. <laughs> well, but that's what brothers do anyway. Yeah, that's true. In fact, they, brothers probably fight a lot more than you and Eric did. We didn't pull punches with each other, but we also learned to be polite during tough times, and mm -hmm. it got us through. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's a friendship. I'll never have the likes of again, and uh, I miss him. Um, I've learned to music, move on musically, but mm -hmm. um, I play our songs. And even songs that he wrote that I wasn't involved in mm -hmm. and that he sang lead on, I do those most nights. I love it. All right. So before we really get into the meat of you and Eric, let, let, let's go back even further than that. So, and you, ha you have a musical family. 
Uh, yes, I do. Okay, so before <coughs> we get into your cousin, were your parents musical? My great, my grandfather on both sides. My grandfathers on both sides were musical. Uh, my uh, parents uh, were Hispanic not. on both sides. Yes, okay. all, all four of my grandparents were born in Mexico. My mother's father, um, Jose Lucero, was a violinist and had oh, played wow. in some mariachi groups. My father's father, Gabriel Navarro, uh, was a, a um, composer, but mostly he was a, a fairly seminal Mexican-American dramatist. He was a playwright oh, wow. in the 20s here in town wow. um, and was really part of a, of a vibrant community. Mm -hmm. He shifted into work in the films uh, doing Wait, before you get off the playwriting, okay, what, what kind of, um, what was his genre? He was a he was um, drama Spanish language drama yeah Spanish language and drama and so this is and some of this is only just coming out now as my older brother Gary has been researching this stuff and um, was his stuff produced back in the day it was produced back in the day and he was mm -hmm. part of a vibrant community a lot of it sort of disappeared as time went on he became most known as a journalist and a newspaper man oh wow and, so uh, what did he do who did he write for he wrote some for La Opinion but basically toward the end of his life mm -hmm. he had his own newspaper called El Pueblo the, the town. Wow. And uh, the city council of L.A. adjourned in his honor when he died in 1950, two years before I was born. I never met him, but his legacy runs I deep. I hope if he so, died before you were born, you haven't met him. Or no, but it was, yeah, I hope I never meet him again, because that would be just really freaky. <laughs> well, no, um, I believe in that stuff. Our, our entire family is mm -hmm. creative on some level, mostly oh. writers, mm -hmm. um, some musicians, mm -hmm. some acting. And um, my younger sister, Lenny, is a very successful jewelry designer. My... Elder of the two sisters, Dee Dee, for a time did uh, hand painted ceramics very successfully. It's a creative family. Uh huh. And, but, but, um, of course, and your cousin is? My cousin Dave Navarro is a rock star. He is the uh, guitar player, the only guitar player ever from Jane's Addiction. He spent four years in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. But he's also been, a, a, frankly, a fairly renowned television presenter. Mm -hmm. He's got a show on, on the Paramount Network called Spike that is a great show. Mm -hmm. It's a tattoo competition art show. And as, He's magnificent. Uh, the art, the um, Freddie Negretti was mm -hmm. on that show. Um, he, Freddie Negretti, read at Women Who Write recently. I see. He's a tattoo artist. Yeah, I, I have not a single one. I changed my mind too much, so I can't do it. <laughs> but, uh, That's interesting. Dave, that you have none, and he has many. No, well, let's. You know, we didn't grow up together, but he mm -hmm. kind of grew up with me because I'm 15 years older than he is. Mm -hmm. uh, I lived with his dad for a time, for a couple years in the mid 70s, mm -hmm. and um, Dave sort of. I taught him his first three guitar chords. I did, oh. not, no, I did not teach him how to play the guitar. Mm -hmm. Those skills are all his, mm -hmm. all his own. I finally moved out after a couple of years, and when I saw him next, he goes, Dan, look what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> he was a monster. So good. Uh -huh. And we're still very close. Mm -hmm. we, we communicate as often. Well, your whole family, uh, you know, whenever it's holiday time, I see you guys, and your whole extended family seems to be gathered. Well... Um, we kind of, we, you know, we love and respect each other. We mm -hmm. enjoy each other's company. Um, you know, it's, uh, they're smart people, and I like being around smart people, you know? So, Thank you. It, you know, it's, it's never boring, always fun. Even when you hit blind alleys or snags, they're usually pretty entertaining. Is it, pa is it a, pa it sounds like it would be a passionate, loud, it is a, it is, a, it is a noisy family. Yeah. There's a video from Christmas, I think Dave may have taken it, standing around a, a, a kitchen island, and everyone's talking at once, <laughs> except me. Really? It's the only time it's like I, for some reason, was stuck, struck dumb. Um, because That's hysterical. My, no, my friends out there know I have a particular philosophy. Yeah. Why use few words when many will do? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, Ted Haber Gaber. Hi. I, I don't know how to say his name. I have never know, have known 
Ted, hi. Looks like Pop the Gobble. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something like that. He's lovely. He does um, L.A. Talks. Du bist deine Mensch, it he looks does, like. He does um, L.A. Talks, and they're incredible L.A. Talks. I've been to quite a few myself. They're wonderful. Um, okay, so so you have this very creative family. Right. You're a little kid. What's the first thing? Do you pick up a guitar? What's the first thing that strikes your... What do you, what's the first thing you want to be when you grow up? Your first memory? I wanted to be a singer. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. I wanted to be a singer since I was nine years old. There was no real mechanism where I grew up, and mm -hmm. I didn't know how to play the guitar or piano. You grew up in L.A.? I grew up in Calexico, California, tw 250 miles south of L.A. It's a border town opposite Mexicali, Mexico. I know this because there's a, a restaurant there that Andy Sheffman always tells me about that you... We, that the, the Shangri-La and the Alley 19 were two amazing Chinese restaurants in Mexicali. Mm -hmm. There was a large population of indigenous Chinese who came over from That's China crazy. to work on the All-American Canal that brought water to this desert area uh -huh. because it also happened to be fertile soil. So uh -huh. it was agriculture surrounded by desert and it was it was actually quite so those, were the those the two ethnic was it was it Hispanic and, and Chinese were those mm, well in Mexicali Hispanic Chinese and indigenous Mexicans uh, both mostly European origin and mixed mm. origin and, and um, uh, native origin mm -hmm. Calexico was 99% Latino even if you were Anglo it's just the way that it was. It's everything was done in Spanish, mm -hmm. except school. We weren't allowed to speak Spanish in school. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a merchant. My mother was as well. Uh, very small town at the time, ten thousand people. Uh -huh. You knew everybody. Uh -huh. You knew what they were up to. How many kids were in your like graduating class? Uh, Two hundred and fifty. Oh God, mine had thousands. My son went to Pali High. It was like three thousand in the graduating mm -hmm. class. But it was. Um, I also knew that I couldn't do this there. Toward the end of high school, I started writing lyrics to songs with a couple of friends. Wait, I were you in sing. bands? I was in bands. Well, I wasn't in bands' bands. They wouldn't let me in. I wasn't cool enough. Seriously. I'd audition and they'd go, yeah, we're going with this guy. So did you, were you doing folky solo things then? I what, was, what were you doing? I was, basically, all I was doing at that point in time, mm -hmm. believe it or not, was get together by the Youngbloods in church. <laughs> and a few songs that I would do with my two buddies, uh, Tony Lopez and Eddie Ainza, we would play... Uh, Oh God, uh, I don't love you anymore by the rascals. We would play Don't Let the Sun Catch You Crying, you know, things like that. And we started. And where, where would you play them? We would serenade our moms from windows. We would play at church functions, um, things like that. Mm -hmm. And we got permission from the priest, uh, Father Gill, to mm -hmm. do get together mm -hmm. in church. Nice. We'd be at the pulpits the first time I sang in public, first time I sang on a microphone. I was 16. And did, uh, you, did you have any voice training? Yeah. No. The only I had voice training for my uh, for my for four of my five years of college, and that oh, was it. And there were okay. voice classes, not voice lessons. Gotcha. Um, I've never taken since, mm -hmm. but I sort of set out to try to be. I, I did learn a second year of college. Of a, I bought a guitar to learn, and I wound up. Wait a learning. minute! This didn't happen until college. That's correct. This was oh. I was over eighteen, and I set up because all all I played was French horn and trumpet in the school band, yeah. but I didn't play a harmony instrument. I couldn't play piano, I couldn't play guitar. So in college, I de was determined and I taught myself both instruments. Do you read music? I do, uh, but I don't read music to play guitar. I was a, a, a choral singer right. and a French horn player, so I do read music and I also learned to do manuscript. So I, learned, I was actually doing music copying in college. Mm. So you were doing that not for your play, but, but also you do a lot of jingles and you do a lot of- Jingles didn't start till I was 36. Okay. Oh, this is a, a lesson. This is a lesson in it doesn't matter when you start as long as you're determined. Um, the period from college to breakthrough was about ten years, mm -hmm. and I had a couple songs on records. I got really lucky, 
They didn't sell very much, but they started me into a who's, community. Whose records did you? It's an Austin, Texas outlaw country guy named Rusty Weir. Okay. Very well known locally. Uh, I wrote a song called I Think It's Time I Learned How to Let Her Go. Consistent subject matter there. Ah, oh, another breakup song. Another breakup how, song. How very odd. Well, there's a theme running through all this shit. Um, but basically, um, I, I had recorded a demo at a studio. The publishing company had a production wing. They were working in the studio. Mm -hmm. And they said, bring your tape over. I took my tape and they said, okay. I mean, it was that weird and that easy. Okay, for the folks at home who are trying to make this happen, it doesn't always happen that way. Well, and it didn't last. Oh. I had two songs on records okay. and it dis everything disappeared for seven years. I couldn't get arrested. So I started... What did you do during that period? I worked for Tower Records mm -hmm. for three years. I worked for Great American Food and Beverage Company, which was a, a restaurant of singing waiters. Uh, I love it. That's where I met what? Eric Lowen. That's okay, where so I met, I'm pointing at the computer, that's where I met Cameron Dye. Okay, so what were, what Cameron was a singing Cameron, waiter also? Cameron worked there for a while. Oh, if I, oh, oh only to be a fly on that wall with you two. Um, all, you three. Um, what was your what were your songs that you sang there? I did a pretty honkin' version of Rosalita and Thunder Road. <laughs> Eric and I oh, used to do a oh, mashup of Is She Really Going Out With Him by Joe Jackson mm -hmm. that we would morph into I Think We're Alone Now by Tommy James and the Shondells. My first concert. You know, it was we would do things like that. It was kind of um, 1978, 79, and so we were doing the skinny time music and, and stuff like that, but um, but Rosalita, basically, I would start kicking chairs over and dancing on the tables. I, I, could, I could see the Rosalita fit. Were you wearing like a, a muscle tee and shit? Uh, no, but we were forced to wear um, oh. those big, giant, floppy, um, you know, uh, hats with the, with the. Um, I'll find a picture sometime. Big floppy. It was hats. you know those kind of um, little Steven sort of. Uh, uh, wait, little, no, little Steven has a thing. Well, it looks like a like a like a jockey, not a jockey hat, but like the things wear when they're driving uh, British sports cars. But there was a version of it that came out, I saw Bruce wear one, that was extra big, so I pulled it down on one side like a beret. I know what you're talking and, about. And um, it, was, it was tweed, um, <laughs> wore that, and vests. Um, uh -huh. There are definitely pictures from that era with us in the skinny ties. And that's where I met Eric. We hated each other on sight. He was tall. Wait, wait, before we get to Eric, sure. I'm assuming there was no plan B. I'm assuming that you had already decided. I don't want to speak for you. No, there was, was no plan. B. There was no plan B. There so you no were going to do jobs that you had to do to eat, but there was no plan. You you were still determined all this time. Right. I picked up a second job in '79 mm -hmm. as an assistant to a music manager, and I started learning. I uh -huh. did a year with him and uh -huh. his partner in L.A. We were managing Jack Nietzsche, <coughs> excuse me, and a group called the Do Rocks, which was a, a duo of Ron Nagel and Scott Matthews on Capitol. Still friends with Scott. Um, and then he got a gig in he got a gig in London, and basically I was uh, I, my girlfriend and I had broken up. I had asked Eric to start a band, and he said no. Oh. And my jo second job was going away, so I took a leap, got someone to take my apartment, and I moved to London with nothing. And wow. they almost didn't let me in. I worked for him for um, eight months there. He was managing the Moody Blues, and. I soaked up everything I could in terms of the That's attitude. a pretty good assistant gig. It was a pretty darn good assistant. When you're assisting the guy who's managing the Moody Blues, and, that's and a pretty good gig. With an entree, my first, the first show I went to was the Ramones at the Rainbow, where people were tearing up the seats and chucking them on stage. Nice. Joey Ramona sitting there, you know, mm -hmm. dust up and ducking his shits going by. <laughs> it was an, a real eye-opener. Wow. One of the things that I noticed is that the pop hits were a step beyond what I was hearing in, in Los Angeles. Really? Um, 
whether it was the pretenders entering the charts at number one with brass in pocket. Wow. But there were, there were, you know, the jam and and but even Cliff Richard had a pretty cool tune called Carrie. I was soaking up this incredible pop music, mm -hmm. but I also discovered the phone bills were not itemized and came out quarterly. So I called Eric three times a week from London, oh. telling him what was going on and making plans to reunite. Wait, I but I home. thought he already turned you down. Yeah, but you know, two weeks before I moved, he said, I've changed my mind, let's start a band. I go, dude, uh -huh. I'm moving to London in two weeks. Did you plan, did, was the intention to go to London and stay, or was the intention always to come back? It was, I, I was gonna give it two years. Okay. Um, because I had visa issues, because I didn't have proper work papers, mm -hmm. uh, I was there eight months, and they, they asked me politely to leave. They didn't quite <laughs> kick me out, but I was not allowed to stay longer. I see. I see. So, uh, hi, Bob Stauffer is here. So, uh, hi, Tara. So, Carol. So, so um, I'm, I'm trying to look Diana to see Levinson. if anybody's hi, asking you a question. Such a weird... All right, wait. Poway, no. hi. Oh, my God. I know where By Poway the way, is. if anybody does have a question for Dan, put it up there, because I'm able to see them today, which is interesting. I'm not usually able to. Sheila Norton in Pittsburgh wants me to play Thunder Road. Uh, we shall see. All right, maybe. That's up to, that's up to the we, Well, we just have to be careful with covers because Facebook, can, you know, that's we true. don't have rights, so you can play like two bars of it. Okay. And then we get then we get busted. You want to do it right now? Sure. All right, we'll do it right now. For Sheila, this is for you. Um, but literally, it's going to be like a very small tape. Screen door slams. Mary's dress waves. Like a vision, she walks desert. Okay, stop. We have to stop because we're not allowed to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Right, you have to stop. We're going to get in trouble. Is that Thunder Road? No. That's Melancholy Baby. <laughs> That's a song I wrote called Melancholy Baby. There you, you can't go. Can't copyright a title. Um, you know what's? Um, did you see uh, Bruce get his? Um, Tony Award the other night. I did not. I okay. did not. There's, there's some good. He did a, a number from his show, which was. He's one of the biggest inspirations on me as a songwriter. There are basically five or six major inspirations on What's me him? as a songwriter: Jackson Brown, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Jimmy Webb. I'm happy there's a woman in there. It's yeah. okay that there's one, but well, that's only the least. top five. Yeah. You get down below that, not much farther below that. You've got Laura Nero, mm -hmm. who is was just a, you know goddess, mm -hmm. complete goddess, and I mean she she wrote, no one wrote like her. That um, album, Eli and the Thirteenth Confession, yep. is just one of the best albums all, of all um, time. Wendy Waldman, who's a close friend. Fantastic! I've been trying to get Wendy. You you're gonna hook me up. She's overseas right now, but okay. Wendy's a close friend. Um, Wendy. But I've been a fan of her since mm -hmm. 1973. And I met her in 1992. So by the time I met her, I was like, <laughs> um, and now I do the same thing, only it's in Spanish. I mean, I know. Carla Bonoff. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, Eliza Gilkison. Who's, I know who that Eliza Gilkison is. is you know, Eliza um, She's a, an Americana uh, folk artist mm -hmm. who's been around for about 30 years. Mm -hmm. I've known her since 89. An amazing songwriter, mm -hmm. deep, rich, political. And awesome. Love it. Awesome. Um, she is. She wrote, she put a record out about twelve years ago called "The Land of Milk and Honey." Land of Milk and Honey, nominated for an Americana Grammy. Every song hits on all cylinders. Nice. You know, so the list is long mm -hmm. in terms of the songwriting influences. Uh, Peter Gabriel, um, oh. a young kid. I say that because he's um, under thirty. John Fulbright from Oklahoma. Don't I'm know. particularly enamored of the Oklahoma songwriter. They're deep. They're rich. They're absolutely authentic, and they ain't trying too hard. 
Jimmy Webb. Jimmy Webb. I'll give you some, yeah, Jimmy Webb yeah. is an Oklahoma songwriter, but I'll tell you, John Fulbright, uh, John Calvin Abney, Andy Adams, uh, Kyle Reed, Kirsten White, uh, a, a sister duo called Annie Oakley, the list go, um, uh, Parker Millsaps, Travis Linville. Okay, I know these are guys these people, that I I'll become friends them. with, yeah. uh -huh. who are simply magnificent Fantastic. at the time. And by the way, Hanson—they're from Tulsa. They're, we love Hanson. Who did we just have that was doing that had played with Hanson? I love Hanson. Was it Carell Tunador that had played with Hanson? I, I think know, it was Carell. Well, so one of my dearest strong. friends is a guy named Stephen Laroni. He's been a collaborator for decades. Mm -hmm. We've had. We've had overseas hits, and he produced the first two albums. Oh, wow. So we were kind of in the studio. Wow. And when they, you know, Ike was the oldest at 16. Right. This is 22 years ago. Crazy so, talented. But they're crazy talented. Yes, yeah. they are. And I well, what's the, 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 middle, the, the, the middle one that's the one who did Taylor. all the leads? Taylor. Taylor did all the leads, right? Yeah, Taylor yes. did all the leads. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fantastic. we noticed, we, I, I put the Mbop um, video up because... Uh, Carell had played with them. Mm -hmm. Well, he actually didn't get to play. He sat in a room with them. He got paid to sit in a room with them, I guess. But anyway, it turned out, what I noticed is that Ike, he was the oldest. Sure. Yeah. They didn't show him in the video. They didn't think he was attractive, so they only showed Taylor, and what's the, the younger one's name? Uh, Zach. Zach. They Zach. I love that you know this stuff, Louise. Yeah, because we fangirl, How right? Cool am yeah. I? And you are. I, so you know, Louise made the the documentary on the castles, the family oh, uh, oh, castles, the family uh, band. I, fan, I was I was friends with Barry, the one who uh, friends with Barry. Barry. I was friends with Barry. Was Barry was two years to the life. day younger than me, born September fourteenth, nineteen fifty four. I saw him about two months before <gasps> he passed. Really? There was a big show at the El Rey. There was a. Um, yeah, I was, produced that show. Okay, yeah, oh. I was there, and Susan. See, I had written with the Bangles. Okay. And so I also yeah. got back in touch with them through Susanna Hoffs. Um, you know, I'd written a lot of stuff with her over the years. But, so I went to see them and Vicki uh, and Debbie. I don't think Mickey was at the show. I don't think she was in the band at that point in time. No, she wasn't at the show, no. I'd actually worked in a record John song. played, John Kelsell played drums for the Bengals that night. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing show. And that was the last time I saw Barry. And of course, he was tragically killed in Katrina. Yeah. Um, I know Susan decently. Um, you know, I had, didn't really know anybody else in the family, but the Cowsills, I mean, I was in high school when Hare and the Rain the Park, the other things, and Indian Lake came out. They were they were a great band. A great band. Well, Barry worked at that restaurant for a little while. That's did he really? I, that's how I knew really? him. Oh, my God. What, what were his songs? Do you remember any? Oh, God. He, he would do his own songs mostly. He was a showman. Oh, was, oh, God. Barry was my, yeah, Barry was my heartthrob. He, he was, was awesome. He was all over my bedroom. He, he's, well, you know, to be honest, as long as there's video and recordings out there, he still is awesome. Yes. I loved him deeply, and we did do some demos together in my studio, which was Eric's this? studio. Oh, it's, you know. But, I mean, it's just crazy because Louise is so... You know, she made the documentary. She spent years with them, and to oh, not know that you guys connect through that. Well, we were at the same place the and same at the, night. The same we were at the same show. Yeah, that's at crazy. The LA, yeah. Well, I've been living in LA now 49 years. I mean, that's part of it, isn't it? I, I dove headfirst into music after college in '74. My first gig at the Troubadour was Hoot Night at the Troubadour in 1974. Okay, wait a minute. So now we're skipping time. So that's before you went to London. That's correct. Okay, so this you was had during the period when I was starting to get play out. I was playing out a little bit. I played at a place that Doug Weston owned called um, Honey Creek Farms. It was an antique store. They found this massive antique bar, so I said, mm -hmm. let's do music. And there's, I have a picture here from me, with me and my old college friend Jeff Stillman playing. But I would play every five months. I would do something and then sit on my keister and do nothing. The thing that changed when did I went you, to... Did you play every day? Were you no, home, you no, were not no. I was lazy. 
and scared. Interesting. I was lazy and scared. That's uh -huh. why it took so long. Uh -huh. When I went to London, I got inspired. Mm -hmm. And when I hooked up with Eric Lowen, he had a serious work ethic. His whole attitude is we work every day. And, you know, look, I brought a whole bunch of, of writing energy to the party. He, mm -hmm. had, he was never, had never been a writer before. Uh, not to imply that he wasn't a great songwriter. Mm -hmm. Not to imply that I didn't work hard. But most duos have an overlap. It's a Venn diagram. And there's areas that each does that are individual. You know, this is true about couples also. Um, one of my therapists said that whatever one partner does, the other one won't do. Mm -hmm. So if one partner washes dishes, Ronnie... If one no, partner, oh, you watch, if one partner cooks, cooks, Ronnie, yeah. you know, if one partner does that, the other one will drop the, will not do it. Right. And they will actually get almost paralyzed and unable to do it. And they find out really quick when couples break up that they, of course, have the skills to do the things they didn't do. Right. But so in your relationship with Eric, wait, we're skipping all over the place, but it, we're here now. So in your relationship with Eric, he brought to the table... He brought to the table the work ethic. On top of great skills as a guitar player and a singer, he just had never written much. Okay. I, I wrote his second, third, and fourth songs with him. Mm -hmm. The first song was a song that he had written with, with Deborah Pearl. The, the, um, Deborah, hi Deborah. Deborah worked Deborah. at that restaurant too. Oh, that's just crazy. I'm serious. And you know she Deborah. and I used to sing with Severin Brown. De Severin's also done with, but well, Deborah Severin brought... worked at that restaurant as well. This is crazy. It's crazy, but it's true. Wow. You know who else did? Uh, Robert Romanis, the actor. Bobby Romanos, who was the ticket scalper in Fast Times. Oh, my God. And he, would, he was a cook there. We were, you know, people, you tell these stories 35 years, 40 years down the road, and people go, yeah, BS. We were all there going, I don't know what we're going to do, man. And, you know, wow. through hooker crook and great good fortune and a lot of persistence, some of us got sort of somewhere and some more than others. Pretty much everybody you've named has had a career. They've, we've all been very fortunate. Um, I, I can't speak for myself. We've all worked. They've all worked really hard. Mm -hmm. And that's the one key. And I didn't work that hard when I was younger. After coming back from London, I worked hard. We started writing together, and fifth song Eric ever wrote in his life mm -hmm. was We Belong. And Why? it's you know, oh in God. his life. That now, is this just... Was not, that song was not me leading him as an experienced songwriter into song. Let me show you how to write. He had started a quarter progression when I got there. Uh-huh. Um, uh, what was your process? Were, were you both lyrics and music? We were was both one? everything. Okay. But that particular song, he'd mm -hmm. started a chord progression. Mm -hmm. I thought it sounded like another song. What what song did? What was what what chord progression had he started with? It's, it was a root chord, a four chord, and a five chord, and it sounded like some other song to me. Okay. So I rewrote a lyric to the other song, but didn't tell him. And he looked at it and wrote a whole new melody that's not like the other song. And it's, it's not stealing, it's a template. Um, the original song isn't in there anymore, but for the last few years I've been known to mash the two up occasionally. Oh, nice. What is it? Um, I really can't tell. It's sitting on 57th Street by Bruce Springsteen. I'd rather not say. <laughs> but, um, and it's, it was just really wow. simple. I mean, it was, uh, you know, what started out, what I heard in my head was, Good night, it's all right, Jay. I want to meet you tomorrow night on Lover's Lane. We belong to the light, we belong to the thunder. That hole is probably. We belong to the sound of the words, we both fall in love. 
So I write this static little melody. Uh -huh. Eric writes a harmony above it that is fluid. So fluid that it became the melody. That wow. whatever we deny or embrace is my lyric, but it's totally Eric's melody. So we nice. really collaborated, mm -hmm. and we knocked that baby out in 90 minutes. Oh my you know, God. That, that's it. And, and did, you, did you know right away? You had to know. We knew it was wonderful. We, had, we were too far away from everything to think of How what could How old were you guys when that happened? Uh, this was September 23rd, 1983. Mm -hmm. We were 31 and 32. Okay, so you're... So we were failures. We were over 30, mm -hmm. and it hadn't worked. And we decided to... Up in, were you still working at the restaurant? No, I left the restaurant. I left the restaurant in '81. Eric closed the restaurant, I think, in '83. But he was painting houses. I was working for my uncle's ad agency, my cousin Dave's dad, and uh, I'd been kicked out of the band that we were in because I was devoting too much time to my day job, and I was really upset. I was angry. I was bitter. I was filled with poison. Was it a cover band? No, it was an originals band okay. that, unfortunately, for it, sounded like. Men at Work before Men at Work came out. So Ooh. as soon as Men at Work came out, we couldn't get arrested. We were close to a couple of deals, notably at, at A&M, but it never happened. Mm. Um, and we were stalled. So I'm sitting there, you know, you guys, I'm making 32 grand a year at my job. This band isn't going anyplace. And my uncle and Dave had been through a major personal tragedy, mm. which was the, um, the murder of, of Dave's mom, of Mike's oh, ex-wife. So I had to devote myself to the agency, and I was angry because I'd been forced out. And Eric called, we didn't speak for two months. He called up one day and said, let's write a song, kind of for no reason. And I remember thinking, this guy sounds for no reason. I was very upset. He's so he's still in the band? He's still in the band. And and you regret, you resent him because he's still in the band? And because he was the one assigned, he's your friend, you fire him. So he was the one assigned to fire me. Oh, it was, that's it, it, so it, not nice. It ruined our relationship, and oh. he calls out of the blue, uh -huh. and I'm angry. Yeah. But I sucked it up because I wasn't doing anything. How did he fire you? What did he say? Man, uh, you need to choose. Uh, if you're not going to really devote yourself to the band more, you might want to quit before you get fired um, because you need to choose. And I'm going, I'm not making a dime at this. I'm making a living, and it's my family. So I did it. And it was, I was over 30, and it was becoming a career. I was good at copywriting and art direction. Okay, so now wait, we're, now we're saying it kind of was a plan B for a while. Well, plan no, the, the plan A was I was an advertising guy. Wow. Because I had, okay. to, give it, I had to give it up and I was over 30. Mm -hmm. Had conversations with people including my, for, my former boss, Kip Crones, the manager of the Moody Blues, mm -hmm. who said, man, if you haven't got anywhere by 30, I mean, what's the point? Holy shit. And this was 1983. I was I'm just, 62. I'm still asking that question, Vicky. I'm still, I'm still... Well, that's Asking the whole thing. Asking that question, that's 62. Well, the thing, especially in today's media market, there's no timetable. Because, it's frankly, different. well, it is. Because, we're look, look, in today's media market, we're too old at 17. So we may as well just go for it. So we wrote this thing. Eric took it around to publishers. I was still working my day job. And you know, a guy at EMI Records liked it, but couldn't really do anything. So he gave it to Tom Sturgis, mm -hmm. son of the famed film director Preston Sturgis, right. who worked in EMI Music Publishing. And Tom sat on it, listened to it, and basically got in touch and said, there's nothing here. A couple months later, we had it Wait, out of the let's, let's, let, let's let that marinate for a moment. Somebody listened to We Belong and said, there's nothing here. It I, was the worst demo you ever heard okay, in Okay, but life. I just want to say for a moment, how many artists are there out there, myself included, 
you included, Louise included, who have had a piece of art that we have been told is shit, that is not worthy, that is not going to do something, and if you persevere, persevere, persevere. Well, and Tom persevered. He called us a couple months later mm -hmm. and said, I got an idea mm -hmm. for a major female artist, come make a handshake deal with me. So Eric went down, I couldn't, I was working, and um, two weeks later we found out it was going to be Benatar. And um, I should have worn brown pants that day. <laughs> you know, we were then 30, you know, this was 1983, we were 32 and 30. And Could she have been bigger at the time? I don't she think was, so. She was off four consecutive Grammy wins for rock. Um, she had just had a, a baby, or was about to have a baby. Mm. And um, it was different for her. It also taught us something about song pitching. Everybody was coming with the next Hit Me With Your Best Shot. This was a ballad. And it was a dreadful demo, but she heard through the demo, so did Tom. Well, why was it a dreadful demo? It was on, recorded on a four-track mm -hmm. with not very good equipment. I didn't have a drum machine, so we were using a keyboard going tsh, tsh, with all the keys. <laughs> it's known affectionately as a fly swatter demo, and it's, it's dreadful. Uh -huh. But it got heard through, and it got selected. We were terrified, but we also knew I quit. My, I, I had to give six months' notice because I was number two in the company by then. And uh, we dove. Uh, so on that song, you said, okay, now, now I can do it. I had issued, I'm not a religious man, mm -hmm. um, but I had sort of had a moment of crisis, even after we'd written this thing, just saying, you know, God, if you throw me a bone, I'll commit, big time. And it happened, so I quit my job. I didn't quit immediately. That was a sign. It was a, a big sign. Mm -hmm. We fell into the middle of oh, the look, you're LA pro Oh, like and a happy, and Hi. things were just flying up, yeah. So, you know, it was... Um, we knew that it was a breakthrough moment for us, mm -hmm. and we were older guys. Mm -hmm. We then tried with older another guys. band. Older guys. I love this at 31. Well, we, we had another band that mm -hmm. I wasn't in. I wasn't, okay. I wasn't old. Uh, that became a bone of contention. Mm -hmm. That band was called 20 Times and operated for about three years. This is not the band you were <coughs> let go is, from. Right. right. This was the successor to it. It was three, okay. of, the, three of the five members, mm -hmm. plus um, a, another guy. Yeah. And uh, it went for a while. It didn't work. Finally, toward the end of that run, Eric finally says to me in late 1987, let's go do this acoustic duo we've always talked about doing for the last seven years. So we played at a little seafood restaurant on uh, Venice Boulevard. Mm -hmm. We did uh, two sets a night, mm -hmm. uh, every Wednesday for two years. In the midst of it, things started picking up. I was going to say, so you don't have your day job anymore. Right. Um, we Belong is bringing you money already? Yes, and we had started writing with the Bangles. I had a cut ah. with Dave Edmonds. I had a cut with Dionne Warwick. Now, how did all that happen? Through, uh, we signed a publishing deal with Chrysalis Music. Okay. And so we were pro writers in the community. Gotcha. Working, pitching, doing, writing with everybody, writing 50 songs a year. Okay, so now Eric started out not a writer. Oh, he how, quickly, a, how quickly did he become a proficient writer? Very, 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 very quickly. quickly. Very quickly. Okay. He's a smart man, and uh -huh. he was an English major, so he understood putting words together. Right. And a great guitarist and a great singer. Mm -hmm. He had just never put the uh, activities together. Mm -hmm. Once that started happening, we also started doing it regularly. It became a work ethic. Mm -hmm. We hooked up with another partner named Rick Boston, uh, who we had some success with. He went his separate ways four years later and got you know had a couple of bands that got signed up. Mm -hmm. But um, bottom line was we decided late in the game, I mean, this is 1987, we were... 35 and 36. Playing this this whole late music. in the game thing in the 30s is freaking me out. But okay. Well, you know, <laughs> it's it was a different world. There it was, was no world. internet. There was no do-it-yourself means to do any of this. Absolutely. Um, 
And then one day, um, we were singing on an album by a guy named Jerry Giddens. He had a band called Walking Wounded. Mm -hmm. Jeff Eyrick, who had produced A Million Miles Away for the Plimsolls, was the producer. We got asked to sing on, on four songs. And one of them, we sounded like the blinking birds, man. The label's going, who are these guys? And four months later, we signed with that label. Nice. And Chameleon Records, run by mm -hmm. Stephen Powers, it was distributed by Capitol. Kind of similar situations. We make this record. Um, are you guys touring at this point? Not yet. We were Not playing yet. locally. We weren't touring. Yet. Okay. You still um, playing in the seafood restaurant? We were playing in the seafood restaurant until 1991, that. believe it or not. Okay. But at late late 1989, mm -hmm. we get with Jim Scott, who had been a, an associate producer and a co-producer on records by the Bodines. He had gotten a Grammy nomination for Engineering Sting's Dream of the Blue Turtles. But for us, That's the nice big company. gun, and we were friends with the Bodines at mm -hmm. this point. But the, the big gun for us was that he was the associate producer on Robbie Robertson's album that had Broken Arrow mm -hmm. and um, Somewhere Down a Lazy River, mm -hmm. produced by Daniel Lanois. Wow. So when we found out he was, it turned out that one wow. of his best friends worked at the label. Mm -hmm. When we found out he was interested, we dove. I remember Jim coming to my house, sitting in the, in the living room saying, you know, I haven't solo produced anything but I'm a dandy recording engineer. And I like people who are confident about their own skills. Mm -hmm. He taught us how to make records. Nice. We did our first four albums with him. He was, he was our mainstay, our, our guru, mm -hmm. and roughly our age. He and was, he taught as he went? He taught as he went because he, had, he was, first of all, one of the most amazing engineers I'd ever mm -hmm. worked with. Could make anything sound huge, mm -hmm. clean, and real. Mm -hmm. Nothing hyped, no BS. His greatest claim to fame, if you want to call it that, is that in 1994, he won the Grammy for engineering Tom Petty's Wildflowers, one of the best sounding records ever made. Wow. Well, by this time, we'd worked with him for four years. I don't know what to call him and go, dude, you just got nominated for a Grammy. And he won. Um, he's still a close friend. He made our final record with us in 2008. But we also had a promotion person at the label who sort of superseded her boss. Our boss is kind of going, yeah, shame we're not going to be able to get this played. Well, one, Maxanne Sartori, who was instrumental in the success of Aerosmith and the Cars, got, wow. got a, call, a shout out when the Cars got inducted into the Hall of Fame mm -hmm. a few months ago. Mm -hmm. She took it on as her life's work and got us uh, basically on AAA stations before AAA existed. Wow. Gavin Report called us the record that wouldn't die because we'd go from off the charts to 45 to 47 to off, to 49 to off, to 43 to 45 to off. And we bubbled under for about six months. And, and while that was, are you touring yet? Like crazy. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. We wound up with a massive hit in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. and similarly in Chicago, Minneapolis, and Denver. And from that, we played blotter games. And basically, you drop your drop, and then you let it spread to every place else. <coughs> Washington, D.C., and so Chicago. So you were really dependent on the DJs in those days. The DJs made us. Yeah. They, they created an auspice for us in particular. I can was tell it you. college radio that? No, no, it was commercial radio. It was commercial radio. But it was the beginning of AAA. The two main stations, three, four main stations, mm -hmm. um, WHFS in Chicago, mm -hmm. particularly a woman named Nisi Williams Crowder. We played on her show July 18th, 1990. We were dead. We had driven from Detroit to New York did a, a thing at the New Music Seminar, hopped a Trump shuttle, back in those days, and walked into her offices, beat to shit. And she looks at us, had kind of a gruff voice, and says, look what the cat tried to <laughs> And I said something like, yeah, tried to bury me in the backyard, too. She goes, that'll work. We played live on the air, and in three weeks, we were number one the entire summer of 1990. I love that Started story. Started selling out shows. I 
consistently. They were 300, 400 seaters. Uh -huh. um, WXRT in Chicago, led in particular by Norm Weiner and Lynn Bramer. Mm -hmm. uh, they're still dear friends. Lynn is still the morning guy on the station now for the last 25 years. Um, Cities 97, w KTCZ in Minneapolis, Jane Fredrickson in particular, and KBCO in Boulder, Colorado, um, Doug Clifford, Dennis Constantine, um, and Scott Arbaugh, and others. We got played like crazy. So now, does that still happen, Dan? It's more rare than it, it used to be. Like people are now breaking on the internet, right? It's more about well, that. And part of it is that an entire generation isn't looking for their music on radio. They're looking on Spotify, right. they're looking on YouTube, and right. they're looking on the net. Mm -hmm. And so it's a different it's a different paradigm. But right. at that point in time, it brought us, we kept going back and kept going back. So consequently, our audience stuck with us. By 1995, we were old hat at radio, mm -hmm. but the audience stuck with us. Mm -hmm. By 1998, we put out a record and we were invisible. Our audience stuck with us. Uh -huh. And that in 2000, we So in other words, those radio. DJs that had played you before were not playing you anymore? They, they weren't really on couldn't. the air anymore? Well, they, the thing is that they, that also was the era of um, program stations, of consultancies. Um, mm. uh, Dennis Constantine had a consultancy and he really liked us. Mm -hmm. SBR, SBR mm -hmm. was a parallel consultancy and mm -hmm. they didn't like us so much. Ah. And, you know, no, no rancor, no offense. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Dennis kept us going, but it was changing and we knew we had to kind of build our fan base one person at a time. Mm -hmm. So we would talk to people until late. Um, part of it also gave us a shot in the arm. Unfortunately, at the end of 1990, we did our biggest show ever. John Hyatt at the top of the bill, wow. Sean Coleman at the bottom of the bill. We were in the middle, 3,200 seats, nice. sellout at Constitution Hall in D.C. The next day, Chameleon closed its doors. Oh. So we were scrambling, and it wasn't working, but we were still touring. Until a guy from Mercury Records, who had placed our songs with his artists. Well, let me interrupt you sure. for a second. All during this time, you are now a full-time musician. Full-time musician, not doing anything else. Um, at that and point so, in time. So well, except in 1988, mm -hmm. on a coincidence, I started singing in Spanish language jingles. So my whole ah. session career started parallel, ah. right around the same time. So that's bringing in money. That's bringing in money. And We Belong is bringing in money. Exactly, both of them. Right, okay. And so I had mailbox income that would allow me to go on the road, and we were breaking even, making a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. But we were developing an audience and pounding it, pounding it, pounding it. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, 19, early 1993, mm -hmm. um, yeah, early 1993, Tom Vickers at Mercury said, I've got an idea for a small label within a large label aimed at adults. Mm -hmm. that, that audience, this was an over 35 audience at that point in time, over 40, were being ignored. So We're still being ignored. We Where went, was well, Michael Bolton already? <laughs> yeah, but you know, Michael's a great singer, but this was something right. that was, er, it was adult rock. It was a rock format, mm -hmm. but it wasn't hard. It was, you know, it was John Hyatt. It was, I mean, the Gin Blossom started there. Mm -hmm. um, Deep Blue Something and Dishwalla came out of there. They were playing Van Morrison, they were playing John Prime, mm -hmm. and they would play Hyatt. It was a, and they were playing us. What's the format called? It was called Triple A, oh, uh, album really adult alternative, okay, gotcha. known as Triple A. Yeah. Triple A didn't develop until '93, but we had been out since '90. Well, Tom has this idea, and we said, "Dude, we know all the players. We know the radio people." So we basically helped him start his label. Mm -hmm. And Mercury, we went top ten at Triple A and put us on the map big time because they had the resources that Chameleon didn't have. Mm -hmm. So we did that for two albums. They bought our first album. But by 96, we were dropped. 
and that's you know the way it right. goes. It's right. just the way it goes. It's not personal. It's just happens. no. It's business. Yeah. And um, but we were able to take these opportunities mm -hmm. and capitalize on them in a way that had legs and gravitas, rather than just hit and run. We made friends. Mm -hmm. We remembered people's names. Mm -hmm. We would go call them. You, you know, made amends. We made, well, we, we hadn't done anything wrong, so we made men's. We didn't make amends. <laughs> we made men's. We made men's. We were menders. We were, we were sewing. We were drapers. But you, you said yes. I'm sure you were saying yes. You know, I've got a friend named John Wynott. He mm -hmm. produced a couple of albums for us, and we were having a conversation about a year ago about should, should I, shouldn't I? Mm -hmm. And he said, the only answer is yes. Truth told, guys, the only answer is yes. Okay, so that's our takeaway from today's show. We're, we're going to continue talking, but we always, Louise and I like to have a takeaway, and that's a really good takeaway. The answer is always yes. Yeah. Why not? Why not? What do you got to lose? Absolutely. A little time, that's all we got. And and we don't know what's going to come from that yes, but we, if we say no, that's a finality. It doesn't that's matter a, what comes from it. It's mm -hmm. intrinsic. If you say yes, those energies develop. It's not... It's, it's like I don't network, mm -hmm. I make friends. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't promote. I simply talk about what I do and I ask people about what they do. Mm -hmm. And that's part of it. Mm -hmm. So it just simply became an activity about keeping the energy going mm -hmm. and continuing to remain creative. Mm -hmm. And it kept, as we kind of went into our 40s, uh, we owned our own label, which means we wow. sold about 20% the units and made 300% the money. Mm -hmm. And we kept going, kept going, kept going. And how were you, how were you, did you have a marketing person? How were you getting that out there? We had a manager named Mike Gormley who had worked at the Bangles and Concrete Blonde and Oingo Boingo. Mm -hmm. um, but I also had taken my advertising background and my management background. Mm -hmm. So we would collaborate, Mike and me, on what do we do next? Where do we aim this? Mm -hmm. um, and we never, ever, ever stopped touring. We wouldn't take six months off. We, I haven't been home more than three months in a row since 1990. It's crazy. You just keep going. And actually, the only time I know that you were off for a while was when you hurt your... That's the longest I was ever off the road. That was the three-month period. Mm -hmm. but before that, it was more like six weeks. And so still today, you're constantly... Constantly. And Dan's uh, tour schedule is on the post, and it'll yep. be on all the posts for this show. DanTomorrow.com. There you go. But, yeah, it's... We really and this Saturday night, if you're in L.A., Dan's going to be at McCabe's. At McCabe's Guitar Shop, 3101 Pico Boulevard. Um, the first time ever there, I'm playing completely alone. Ooh. Steve Postel's in Japan, and I decided, you know, let's not replace him. Let's just go out there and do it. I I'll like be off-roading a little bit, probably. I might even be compelled to play piano in a couple songs. Wow, I didn't even know you played piano. Many people don't. Okay. You know, I'm filled with secrets. There you go. Saturday night, McCabe's. It's at 8 o'clock. Absolutely. Okay. So... So you guys just continue to tour, 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 tour like crazy. And we started releasing records more frequently. Mm -hmm. uh, initially, it was um, a couple of live records, um, a Christmas album. What was your process like? When was the writing getting done? We, were, we tended to write for records, which basically means we'd write a couple songs a year, and then we'd realize we got to go in the studio in two months, and we'd go crazy. Mm -hmm. um, we also, a lot of real life happened. Mm -hmm. um, I got married in 1994. Eric got divorced in 1997. Mm -hmm. um, we, I had a son in 96, he had kids in 94. So we had a lot of real life going on mm -hmm. and we were over 40. Um, which Every time you say that, I, I just, well, I uh, get leveled well, lower. If you guys do the math, you can kind of figure out where it's going these days. But um, yeah. no, so we just kept going. Um, but we did have interruptions. 
I also got heavily involved in the Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA. Okay, that, I, I was going to talk about that because you have this whole other career. Right, and that... How old were you when that started? Uh, I was 48 when I started doing that. I, I got involved, wow. I was really 40, 45, but I got involved in the negotiations for commercials in 2000 that led to a six-month strike, and I was on that negotiating team. It sucked a lot of air out of the room. <clears throat> I can tell you right now, Eric wasn't happy about it, and neither was my ex-wife, Claudia. Because mm -hmm. I, would, I would come home from the road and say, I have to leave in 36 hours to go to New York. Um, it was tough on everybody. But I learned a lot. And it what, was what, made, what compelled you to do that? I like knowing how the sausage is being made. Ah. There's an old joke. Two things you don't want to watch being made are sausage and laws. <laughs> and I like the process of governance, and I like the process of negotiation. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to help my fellow performers. Mm -hmm. So I was asked to be involved, and I did. And it did... It did take an awful lot of brain real estate. Okay, so aside from the that part, the, the SAG involvement, when did the uh, the acting, the voice acting, all of that really kick in, become a major career for you, which is Family Guy, American Dad, there's been a lot of work. The beginning of the transition was 94, when mm -hmm. I was hired for what I thought was singing on a jingle, mm -hmm. and it turned out it was a voiceover. Uh -huh. I got an agent from that. Um, Louise was just saying that you sound, who did you say you sounded like? He just sounds like he's a professional voice person. Yeah. No, I, I mean, and, and there's been a lot, is, of, yeah. lot of voiceovers, mm -hmm. but that started transitioning. My Spanish jingle work in 2000 transitioned into... Spanish in, jingle work, I'm assuming, for radio? Radio and television. Mm -hmm. Every beer company, every car company, uh -huh. you know, Coors Light, Bud Light, Ford Ranger, Manejón Ford Ranger, <laughs> and there's a, a ton of them out there that are kind of a crack-up. Uh -huh. um, and I was working all the time. Mm -hmm. I got very, very fortunate. Went from not working to working constantly because they didn't know. Here's some advice. You don't know what's out there. I didn't know they didn't have a baritone. There were a lot of tenors. So I went from not working to working all the time. And How did you find figure that out? I went, did a jingle in a guy's garage. Uh -huh. And there was a woman on the date named Isela Sotelo who contracted Spanish language vocals. And she said, if you have a tape, give it to me. And a month later, she called me for a... Miller Beer commercial. I go through the negative tape. I'm not lucky. I can't speak Spanish well enough. This is going to be a disaster. I'm not the fortunate type where it'll be La Bamba. It's going to be like Steely Dan in Spanish. <laughs> and I walked into the session and it was La Bamba. So I, I was able to hit it out of the park because it was easy. And it was a bunch of drunk guys, you know, para bailar La Bamba. <laughs> that kind of stuff. I was messaging with Issa yesterday. You know, and it was um, the other guys on the session were Michael Cruz. Uh, a Cuban gentleman who, um, Cuban American gentleman who had, who was also writing for commercials mm -hmm. and producing them, and Casey Porter, who ended up a Grammy-winning producer for Carlos Santana and Ricky Martin. Um, they were their stages in the career where they were doing jingle work as well. So I started working all the time. Mm -hmm. Then How, it started now, shifting. Are you having problems with Eric because you're doing so much of this other stuff? Uh, Is really. he getting in the way of the touring? No, it's more like the touring took priority. So. When I was away, I didn't work. If I, I was see. home, and it just happened to fall lucky, except for 1993, 1994, when I was on the road so much, my income dipped. It's the only time I didn't make my insurance since 1988. It was six months during 1994. Mm -hmm. And um, it, was, it was bad. Mm -hmm. But I was gone. Mm -hmm. It changed. It came back. Starting in 94, I started doing voiceover work as well, and that just started growing. Mm -hmm. 2000, it shifted into English language movies. Mm -hmm. And then... What was your first English language movie? The Emperor's New Groove. Mm -hmm. I was part of a group that sang, um, Cusco! You know, and... Uh, you know, I, I got called by Edie Lehman Boddicker to go pick up a tape. 
And they said, by the way, they want the guys to audition for the lead. I stick the tape in my car and it's sting. And I'm oh, going, I don't shit. get why you want us to audition. It was pitched out of my range, but I, I basically bore down, sung in a really pushed falsetto. She actually came out and said, you're not going to get this. It's out of your range, but you just blew away the head of music from Disney. Um, Cleto Escobedo, who's the band director on Jimmy Kimmel, got the gig. And then three months later, they gave it to Tom, Tom Jones. But we're on the film. All of a sudden, I start working all the time. I ended up doing you know, Happy Feet 1 and 2, Ice Age 2 and 3, the Robots, uh, The Mexican. And I was working all the time in film. Concurrently, in 2000, my old friend Linda Lamontagne said, you do voice work. How do you feel about doing Walla, Unidentifiable Noise Voices, on this brand new series called Family Guy? Mm. I said, okay. Because <laughs> You the said yes. Always, I believe that's a yes. The only answer is yes. Mm. And I'm the only guy from that second season. Wow. I, didn't, I didn't do the first season. It was only six episodes. Mm -hmm. But I came in about three episodes into the second. Mm -hmm. And we would just sit there and make up noises for crowd scenes, bar scenes, things like that. show got canceled in 02, came back in 04. I was rehired along with a new group of kids, and it's been a stable group for the last 10 years. Bobby Kesselman, Nikki Breyer, for a while Megan Grano, although she ended up, um, she had to leave, and, and suggested her friend Amy Phillips, who's an incredible improv actor, mm -hmm. and Davey Farragher from Elvis Costello's band and the band Jack Shit because Linda's um, significant other is a Grammy-winning engineer. Uh -huh. So she knew musicians mm -hmm. and liked musicians. Yeah. You know, in the meantime, I picked up an agent, uh, initially special artist, but for the last um, about 20 years, uh, innovative artists, mm -hmm. not knowing that the woman who ran that voiceover department liked musicians, liked singers. Uh, my ex-wife went to a party of her cousin and said, you should hear my husband, he does voiceovers. She said, come visit. And she said yes. Took two days, literally, from the time I set the tape in. So now you could, it sounds like, stop going on the road and just stay here and do this stuff. Yeah, I don't want to do that. But you don't want to do that I because love the road. yeah, you see the country on the ground. It's immediate feedback, and it's also immediate connection with people. Mm -hmm. And I love that most of all. Mm -hmm. I've gotten to know many of my fans personally mm -hmm. uh, for many, many, many years. They have seen me through highs and lows, and especially when Eric got sick. Mm -hmm. They really rallied around us, mm. you know. But all of these things were kind of on separate sticks, separate place spinning. And my attitude is I just want the opportunity to swing away. Mm -hmm. So I would do whatever I could. Mm -hmm. And I've been very... very so I like that, too. That's sort of another takeaway. It's about swinging away, right? It's mm -hmm. about... You only want at-bats. Always... That's all you want. Always giving everything your all. And, and you give 110%, mm -hmm. but you want opportunities. You know... The, the and creating your own opportunities. It's true. Mm -hmm. Well, the bookings will come, or they won't. You don't have any control over that. Mm -hmm. You're never competing against the other actor. You're only competing against your best version of yourself that day. Mm -hmm. So I would just swing away and forget about it. Mm -hmm. And it started getting better and better and better. Very key player over an innovative artist, a guy named Zach Kaplan, mm -hmm. who about six or seven years ago got a yen for what I do and started aiming me toward things. Mm -hmm. From him, I picked up three major video games, including Fallout 4 and Uncharted 4. I picked up a part as a character in the Book of Life. It's so the, you're like the Comic-Con guy, the Comic-Con guy. And, yeah. and apparently a, a, a multi-threat. Um, and I'm not saying that immodestly. I always knew how to do different things. I just didn't think I could mm -hmm. until the opportunity was there. Yeah. And But it, it's taken very key players 
-hmm. you know, like Marsha Hurwitz, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, Loann Regis, like Linda Lamontagne, like Isela Sotelo, like Maria Del Rey, who also got me work as a singer. Okay, I love this that Dan is taking the time to mention the names of all the people that are important. I've never forgotten. Um, but it's, it's, you've never forgotten, but you're sharing it, and you're giving, you're, you're giving voice to them. I didn't do this myself. Well, it takes a village, it takes a community. It's lovely that you're acknowledging these people, that because we don't know who, who these names are, but it's lovely that you're saying them out loud and you're putting them into the universe and you're putting them on Facebook. I owe them a ton. And um, it's lovely. No, it's a thank you. And, and Zach has still been great for me. I mean, mm -hmm. I get calls from Zach saying, send this directly to me, don't send it in through the normal channels. And um, I picked up a gig through him that was one of the coolest, weirdest of my life. I did nine sessions. Uh, doing sound alike for Javier Bardem in Pirates of the Caribbean. I remember we, that's when we were going to the baseball game. Yeah. I remember when you were auditioning for that. And I got. Yeah. It. And that's if it wasn't fantastic. for Zach, he also wound up getting me. I did two sessions on Mother, the picture with um, Jennifer Lawrence that came out last year. Well, you were not Jennifer, were you? How does he sound? I had to learn. To, I, I learned some things about how he talks when he's on television. I had to watch like Conan, and he said, "Well, you know, my family are families of actors, but if you watch him in the films." It would tend to talk dumb or down like this. <laughs> well, I literally went through about two hours of YouTube wow. to, to, to learn how to do it, and then I just recorded it and sent it on. I carry a microphone with me on the road. I record from hotel rooms. I've do you go into the closet? How do you get the good sound? Do you go into like the closet? I hear like yeah, this. I just good, do it in the room. You just do it in the room. I just do it in the room. Yeah. First of all, this particular mic, you work very closely. But I was going to say, you don't even need a microphone anymore. The way the phones are now. Yeah, this thing's better. Yeah. It's, okay. it's a really superlative mic, mm -hmm. and um, I have been responsible for the sale to my friends, and I don't mean like I rep them, mm -hmm. I just say this is the mic of probably 25 of these things. Wow. I've had mine for 11 years. Okay, you're going to turn me on. What yeah, is it? Yeah, tell us. Uh, it's called a Rode Podcaster. Talk to the people, I'll show it to you. Okay. Cool, cool. So, oh, oh, no. Okay, so Dan's going to show us his podcasting mic. What do you, Louise, let's talk to some people. Who's at her? Hey, Lane Taylor. Um, who else we got? Walt Kaufman. Hi, Walt. Hi, Diane Pellamari. John Green. Hi. David Beckham Bendit. Well, I love David. I'd like to thank the members of the Academy for oh, this award. Holy wow. Patterned directly after the Electro Voice Ari valid. toy. It is, the thing is, it's also not a toy. It's not super expensive, 229 bucks online. Okay. But it weighs five pounds. It's not made of plastic. It's made of metal. I was going to say that's pretty serious. Meant to be worked like, this close. It yeah. sounds great. I have done vocals on five records with this. No kidding. Um, yeah, I, I do them at my desk and I send them in. So when you're doing voiceovers on the road, do you how do you plug that into your... Go straight into the computer. There's USB? no interface. It's a USB microphone. And then what, what program do you use? I'm using GarageBand. Okay. Uh, so now I was trying to figure out if we used one of that with, with the iPhone 10 when we're doing like the show, but we'd have to plug it into... The phone. I don't think we need right. it. Right. I, I think the only way that you would be able to make that work effectively mm -hmm. is if you used a webcam on a computer and went straight into the USB. Yeah, but the the, the, <coughs> the iPhone 10 is so far superior. To Facebook the Live doesn't work with computers yet. Right. Yeah, and the whole right. thing is that to be honest, it's it's all about this mic. So I use my laptop. Right. I've done auditions from. My so you car. travel with this? I travel with this. Wow. I, I own two of them. Okay. Um, I keep light. one packed and mm -hmm. I keep one on my desk, and. I was pulling in, I was doing a show in Dallas mm -hmm. about two years ago, mm -hmm. and I pulled into a Dairy Queen to buy an ice cream cone, and I look, and Zach has said, I need this back today. Usually they give me 24 hours. Right. So I'm sitting there in the parking lot going, here we go, and I've got the laptop in my lap, i got the microphone up here, I record <laughs> it, 
used the, connected through the um, through the what do they call it the uh, personal hotspot mm -hmm. and sent it in and um, it works fantastic and you know that's so I keep I'm able to stay in the game even when I'm away mm -hmm. it also I discovered that all of a sudden instead of getting 50 auditions a year I started getting 150 auditions a year because wow. there was no longer a drain on staff time in the office Wow. never thought of that but you know it's I like working I like producing I like being creative mm -hmm. so this is all just a joy you also love to spend money well there's You're, that yeah there's that there's dad's that. like a really generous guy and you like to, you like to go and spend well and I just I, I you know money's a tool mm -hmm. and if you don't have it I contend you don't need it. Now, that's a gross oversimplification for some people. Okay, let's talk about that for a minute. If you don't have it, you don't need it because you don't know what you're missing? That's just really more, I'll I mean, just... everybody needs I'll it. resort... Yeah, I mean, if I can pay my rent, I'm good. Okay. But in terms of being able to go out to dinner, mm -hmm. I cook. Uh, go to a movie, I've got 500 DVDs. I've mm -hmm. got books here. Mm -hmm. I have ways to entertain myself that don't require that I spend. Mm -hmm. um, but you like them Dodgers. I love them Dodgers, mm -hmm. and that is my, my vice. I... Mm -hmm. I buy games. Uh, I buy games every year, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a lot of fun. I was at the I was at the ballpark last night. So was Harry. That was a good game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, so and ah, uh, for those of you who are sports minded, Harry's got his podcast in the booth. Harry, and it's going to be on tomorrow night, Thursdays at eight thirty <coughs> Pacific time, live on the Facebook. And Louise's podcast, I want to mention before. Oh, and we give a shout out to being weird. Come into frame. I so can. Louise has a wonderful podcast. What's wrong with weird? Let's come on, come, into, come, on. Could be weird. come on, Louise. So tell us about it's your podcast, Louise. Tiny delay, but yeah, I'm pretty sure you're in there. My podcast yeah. is called Things I Found Online. I yeah. do it with two of my radio buddies, Joseph Brianna, who's also a big voiceover mm -hmm. talent who travels with something similar to your microphone, mm -hmm. and uh, Larry Morgan from K Earth 101. Oh, cool. And we talk about the internet from the point of view of people that did not grow up with it. And so anything that's online, we will talk about it. And Things I fun. Found Online. Things I Found Online, and it's Louise Palenker, and you can or cl just click her, blah, blah, blah. you can just click her name on all of these posts, and it'll take you to her page, and you can find Things I Found Online. Yeah, you can find it online. You can, <laughs> you can find Things I Found Online online. And while no we're idea. doing these things, I just want to also say a huge thank you to Rick Smolke and Quick Impressions, yes. Yeah, and by the way, Dan, if you need anything printed, for all this stuff you're doing, liner notes, uh, business cards. Give these guys numbers. I need stuff now. Cool. Rick, Rick, he, he's he's the he, best. Rick Smokey, Quick Impressions in Chicago will take the best care of you ever. And he does great work. And I know you know about printing because I remember yeah. when my book came That's out. That's right. We talked about we, that. We talk, oh, and I want. Well, I'm going to be in, in Chicago. I'm going to be in Chicago in about in about ten days. Is is uh, no in the other bag? I I don't think it's in there. I had put um, this. No, it's on the floor. I, I don't think I brought it. Um, Michael Cole of the Mod Squad mm -hmm. wrote a book called I Played the White Guy. And Michael uh, did the road taken a couple weeks ago, and my lifetime dream come true realized. And he is going to be in my living room. Um, I can't even breathe when I, I can't well, even breathe. Matt, Michael Cole, she was a puddle. I, I, if I, you I, stepped in her, <laughs> you got wet. It, I, I, was, I, I can't even talk she about was him. A well, so Michael I'm, I'm, Cole. For, for me, for me, it's Peggy Lipton. Well, Rashida I, okay. Jones is mine. I, I wrote, I wrote to. Don't say Rashida. It's Peggy Lipton. It's not Rashida Jones. She no. I'm gonna bet you a buck she loves her daughter. Uh, of course she loves well, her then, daughter. I wrote, I wrote. I, to listen, Peggy. I'm Joe Navarro's dad, and I'm proud of that. Uh, there you go. I'm uh, yeah. 
I, I wrote to Peggy yesterday because she has a book out. She's and fabulous. I, and, yes, and Still I love her. And I was, I was sporting the Peggy look for years because so I wanted to be Peggy. But was... anyway, so uh, June 26th, um, Michael Cole uh, is going to be in the living room at Women Who Write and we'll be live on the Facebook at 11 a.m. Pacific time. And watch Vicky get starstruck because it's entirely <laughs> I, amusing. I, I literally can't. I love can't, that you say the Facebook. The Facebook. <laughs> I, 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 I literally, when I'm in his presence, I can't, I can't becomes... breathe and think. Um, so yeah, his book, um, I Played the White Guy, and, and he'll be signing the book and, and reading from it at, at Women Who Write. But anyway, so Rick Smolke, Quick Impressions in Chicago, and also I want to give a shout out to Nicole Venables, my hairdresser, who I adore, who has the Ruby Begonia Salon, and I found out wow. every week I say, does the name Ruby Begonia strike a familiar note? Do you remember Did that? the name Ruby Begonia? What's yeah. that from? Amos and Andy. Thank you. Because I, I ask every About week I say... About as politically incorrect as it gets these days. Right? And every week I say to Louise, it's from a show. And Louise says, yeah, you say that every week. But it is. It's from Amos and Andy. Somebody wow. pointed it out last week. So you're a little too young to know from Amos and Andy. Right? Too yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was this big, but... Yeah, I, I, was this big. But anyway, uh, Nicole Venables, uh, her... her Salon is in Studio City. She has fantastic products. I don't have them with me today, but you can also get them at friendsbeautysupply.com. Love the people. And I'm going to connect you with Rick. He's Please. the best. He's been an angel of women who write for the whole for 10 years. He's, he's an angel. Probably and he'll so. take really good care of you. And I'm just looking at the time, and I'm like, okay, so let's, so let's come to the new CD. Um, new CD. How, how did this, how did the writing come about? I mean, I imagine that there was a period of, Adjustment when there Eric was there was a there was a period of you know the short version of that we mm -hmm. thought that we could go forever because we had already beaten the business at our own game right. we were small but we were indelible right then in two thousand four he got diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease now we mm -hmm. thought if we were lucky we'd have a year eighteen months oh. we got five solid years on the road and we just he just I said what do you want to do he says was I wanna... that the prognosis they gave him Are they you... didn't get, uh -huh. they weren't able to give him a prognosis mm -hmm. you can't really give a prognosis mm -hmm. all you can say about ALS mm -hmm. amyotrophic lateral sclerosis is typically half of all cases die within two years and that's all we knew I had been through it with my ex-wife's uh, father's significant other mm -hmm. five months oh. so I had some experience with ALS and we he says I just want to go till the wheels come off and so the and and that's so that's a degenerative degenerative disease you lose the ability to move muscles you can control so heartbeat is not affected um, uh, digestive actions are not effective erectile function is not effective I was just gonna ask about Complete that but reflex, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up no it's yes no but breathing and so eventually you lose the ability to breathe and most oh, people right. suffocate um, oh, and so it's a horrible horrible disease because Did he have a horrible end um, he had an end at a time of his choosing. He chose not to go on a tracheal breather. Mm -hmm. He was extubated and he died in 15 minutes. He was in the hospital. But he had, taken it, he had taken it mm -hmm. five solid years. Mm -hmm. And we communicated closely through it all. We also hadn't made a record in six years. Mm -hmm. So we came off the road for one of those three-month periods. Mm -hmm. And we pounded out um, an album called All the Time in the World that was mm -hmm. produced by John Wynott. Mm -hmm. He's the guy that said the only answer is yes. Made this record, and it's probably the best record of our career, probably a close second with um, Broken Moon that Jim Scott produced. Mm -hmm. Long story short, we kept going. We put three records out in five years. We've oh never done that. We did a covers record with John, and we thought we were done. Mm -hmm. But 2007, we realized we had some songs, and so we went back to Jim Scott after a 10 years. So he was still able to sing and He was play? still able to sing. He, couldn't, he stopped being able to okay. play in 2007. Okay. He was unable to sing past mm -hmm. September 
of 2008. Mm -hmm. The last four shows we did, he simply recited some lyrics, Aww. and we packed it in with a series of farewell shows in the Washington, D.C. area, sellouts the lot, and said goodbye. I went solo a couple years before in secondary markets, mm -hmm. <coughs> but it was, it was confusing, it was awkward, uh, it was weird. It's been a rough transition for you. It was a, a laborious, I'll call it rough. Yeah, it was a rough transition. I don't, you know, I'm touring on my by myself going, do I even want to do this? And so, people are also like, wait a minute, you're the duo guy. Right. Right? The audience was cut by two-thirds almost instantly okay. because the brand went away. Mm -hmm. I was 55 years old, mm -hmm. starting over. Mm -hmm. But I still like the job. Mm -hmm. And a core of fans who have never left my side, mm -hmm. continue to show up and continue to make it And appointment. you didn't have to do that because you still had, you, you had the other, you had the acting, the voiceover, yeah, the we belong, you had all that stuff going on. So. None of this has ever been for the money. It's all about the love of what I'm doing and I've been very fortunate to okay, make a living at it. that's another takeaway. If you do it for the money, I, I, no. I, don't, I don't know if you can, there are mercenaries who make it though, I, I know of a few. I, I, have, I have a friend in particular, I'm not going to name him because this is not meant to embarrass him, mm -hmm. um, who did a publishing deal for a very large amount of money. Mm -hmm. He was also expected to write hits of a particular ilk. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, man, it's one thing to fail, it's one thing to sell out, it's another thing to sell out and fail. <laughs> so, yeah. at the end of the day, do what you need to do. And yeah, it is important sometimes to pay attention to market trends. I'm not saying that shouldn't be done. Mm -hmm. But again, because we weren't in our 20s when mm -hmm. we started, we mm -hmm. were in our 30s and later 40s. I mean, at 55, there is no there there, but I like the gig. Mm -hmm. And I've broken some new areas I didn't used to have. The mm -hmm. Southeast was never great for Lauren and Navarro, but I've managed to play there now regularly. Mm -hmm. My audience has stuck with me, cut by half to two thirds, but mm -hmm. they're still there. Mm -hmm. And so And I'm, they're old now. Well, and they're bringing their kids. Love it. So there are 20 and 30 year olds who mm -hmm. said, I have been watching you mm -hmm. and hearing your music since I was born. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly heartening. Mm -hmm. And I still, frankly, perform 110%. I That's know that you do. All right, so tell us a little bit about Shed My Skin and then you're going to play one for us. I got or two. scared and I stalled for a while, mm -hmm. but I finally decided, Steve and I talked. Um, I considered other Steve producers. Steve Postel. Steve Postel. I considered other producers who were great, but I couldn't afford to pay them mm -hmm. at that point in time. Um, I'd had a major financial mishap that um, left me broke, mm -hmm. but um, Steve said, if you need money, you need a record. Mm -hmm. And he dove in as a leap of faith and friendship, mm -hmm. but it did take a long time. Mm -hmm. I would stop, I would start. I know, I tried to book you guys a couple of times. No, we're working on the record. We're working on the record. Well, I also got very ill twice. I had two major illnesses in 2015. And in 2016, I broke my wrist badly in a fall at a folk festival. Took my hand right off my wrist. Couldn't feel my fingers for six months. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified. Yeah, that's through this scary. all, you know, I'm also raising a son, getting him through high school, started college in 2014. Um, so I was pretty busy. Mm -hmm. But I was also scared and didn't, thought that no one would care and I don't know if I can do this. Lowen wasn't there for the first time. I never made a record without him. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so it took some time. Mm -hmm. I also decided to write alone. But what wound up coming out was something that truly reflected what I wanted to say. Again, didn't make a folk record, didn't make a rock record, didn't make a triple A record. I made my record. And I could it's not It's pretty be fantastic. Well, thank you. Hi, Phil Isaacson. Hi, Michael <coughs> Chang. All right. So what, what I want, what I'm going to request from you sure. is that maybe you do bullet. Hard. I'll do pull And then if you do, if you then if you close us out with you know what. With with, with I know what. <laughs> Bulletproof was um, was the result of a 
of an experience with a friend who for about a minute and a half was a little bit more than a friend. Uh, and, uh, oh, you mean it's another breakup song? Is it Chloris? This is not a breakup song per se. This is actually... Chloris. Well, you'll, was you'll, it Chloris? This is not a breakup song. <laughs> I had a dream, I flew like a bird to the top of the mountain, and there you were, bathed in the shadows, alone in the dark, with a lock and chain around your bulletproof heart, minute by minute, time after time. Body to body, crossing over the line, wrapped in each other, a shower of sparks. Began to melt the ice away from your bulletproof heart. Somebody tell me, please, are we really here? I opened my eyes, and you disappeared. All the king's horses and all the king's men can't put the genie back in the bottle again. Now I try to remember to try to forget the way you felt that night, but it ain't happened yet. One perfect kiss blew the shackles apart. You're locked inside your bulletproof heart. Won't somebody please tell me, please, what's happening here? The image is hazy, but the memory's so clear. All the king's horses and all the king's men can't put the genie back in the bottle again. So where are the fault lines? How deep are the ties? Can I ever touch the fire I see in your eyes? We can come together or we'll come apart. But I cannot come away from your bulletproof heart Your bulletproof heart It's too hard to imagine And too late to pretend That all the things we said and did won't happen again So how do we finish? Where do we start? Break down the walls around your bulletproof heart. Your bulletproof heart. Oh, I just. I love that.
there was another song that you did at Women Who Write that I, of course, cannot remember what it was that I also... Do you remember what else you played? It might have been Arrows, but... Um, can you give us a taste? I can, uh, I can try and see. I'm telling you, this entire CD, that every song is just... Is that amazing? So... I, I, have to give, I have to give you a love right now. I'm giving you a heart. That... that Oh, my love, the time has come to be moving on where I don't know. As you go, there will be a door to a place where all the answers lie in hiding. Time is a healer, ever the revealer. Twisting and the turning and the losses and the learning I want you to know When the arrows are flying So-called friends lying about you When all the skies turn black Honey, have no fear You know I'm standing right here with every step down the track, I got your back. Oh yes, it's called "Shed My Skin." The Is that album. a father song? Pardon me? Is that a father song? You know, it was written from two points of view, and one of them was from uh, my son moving on. I wrote this in 2013, a year before he graduated high school, but it was also. Um, written from the perspective of somebody who's letting go of a relationship, they... It's another breakup song. Well, <laughs> it's another breakup song, it is. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a breakup song about somebody that you know is not necessarily going to be out of your life. It's mm -hmm. not get the hell out of here, it's more like, we, we can't go any further, but I still care. Yeah. And uh, it's a, it w I didn't really feel a lot of confidence in that part of the song, mm -hmm. but it definitely came from the dual perspective of, of writing about my son growing up. Mm -hmm. So for people to get Shed My Skin, that link that I put up, that's your touring link, will that all also bring them to the, to the it CD? It will indeed. It takes okay. them to the CD. It's available in hard copy and CD form <coughs> and also in four different formats of digital files. It's not on iTunes or Amazon or Spotify yet, but it will be in the next couple, month. Okay, M month. Well, it's going to take me a while. Yeah. I've been doing this all myself. Hey. Except, well, I will say my radio promotion person is my ex-wife, Claudia. There you go. You know, it's we're friends. So and the breakup there. songs aren't over and out, just we're moving on to different aspects. She has your back. He has your back. Well, there's, there's another breakup song. Well, no, it's actually not a breakup song. There was a, it's a horrible, horrible song called oh. Love Song. Yeah. Uh, you might have to write me for that. It was a hidden track. On... I, I think you played that at Women's Rights. Oh, it's, it's pretty nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a, you stupid bitch, you wicked whore. Yeah. It's, uh, it really I, is. I, I've heard you play that. Oh, God. It's a... Give us a little taste. It this was written from. Show. It was rated. It was written from uh, a man's perspective, and that wasn't fair. So we wrote the second verse from the woman's perspective. <laughs> the rain falls on my window, leaving gentle patterns on the glass. I look outside and wonder how this ever came to pass. I can still remember the 
day you went away Now you're here before me I have the chance to say You stupid bitch You wicked whore You tore my heart out of my chest And threw it on the floor You vicious slut You useless cow I know I fell in love with you God, I don't know how And then she says The neighbors think you're crazy I couldn't stand your friends You came on to my sister And she was only ten an old song. God, I hate your taste in music. Your breath smells like your feet. Wow. Your gambling left us bankrupt. Till we were living on the street. And then she takes on after him, you dickless slob, you shiftless jerk. I love it. Now, you know, I'm and tired of cleaning so, up for you, now go and get a job. So, can people, wait, don't put the, because no. now you have to play the I gotta thing. Play, I gotta Cause, play the Because we're, because we're, we're <coughs> well, I will say, by the way, that song was written in like 2001. It is so incredibly um, inappropriate, incorrect. really um, inappropriate. Do not say the good one. It's not that you're going to play the good one. You're going to play the one that oh, is. I already played Nose Hair, never mind. The, you already <laughs> played Nose Hair and you already played, um, uh, Oh God! Now I just it's based on what it's called. Um, Arrows and no. um, and let her ride. No. And bulletproof. Thank you, bulletproof. Yeah, bulletproof art. Bulletproof art is ridiculous. Well, I mean, they're all ridiculous. But anyway, so Dan's gonna play his hit now. Um, Go it, which is in Deadpool 2, and um, you will all know this song. And um, after Dan plays this song, we're gonna say goodbye till next week. And I want to thank you for doing this. I thank love you so, so much. much. Fun. And um, and we'll see you next week on the road. I wouldn't mind being a regular. You I throw throw down good. I like it. You know what? Maybe a five minute segment or something. So we we'll we'll do it like we'll do it once a week. We'll just five throw minutes. down for five minutes. I'm in. We need candles. <laughs> yep, we need this a is definitely the well, They're on the phone now. People have zip on yeah, lighters on telephones. Yeah, my phone's being used, but yeah. Twenty times I tried to tell you. Twenty times I cried alone. Always I'm surprised how well you cut my feelings to the bone Don't want to leave you really, just want to break the ice Do I look silly to you when I yield to your advice When you say we belong to the light, we belong to the thunder We belong to the sound of the words we've both fallen under Whatever we deny or embrace, or worse or far better, we belong, we belong, we belong together. And for the last 30 years, this is how I've been doing it. Si acaso no lo sabes, te aseguro que es verdad. El cariño que es sincero no se apaga con crueldad. Olvidas lo que fuimos y desprecias lo más fiel. Juntitos pretendimos 
que la luna era de miel, junto a ti, junto a ti, solo es mi anhelo. Junto a ti como el rayo de luz que ha brotado el cielo. No importa el porvenir si sufrir, es mi triste destino. Junto a ti, junto a ti hasta el fin del camino. The Spanish words mean that there is no love that is greater than that between a true-hearted gentleman and his chosen one. Close your eyes and try to sleep now. Close your eyes and try to dream. Clear your mind and do your best to try and wash the palate clean. Cause we can't begin to know it how much we really care. I hear your voice inside me, and I see your face everywhere. Now I say, we belong to the light, we belong to the thunder. We belong to the sound of the words we've all fallen under. Whatever we deny or embrace, all us off a better. We belong, we belong, we belong together. Thanks, Weezy. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.